Good evening and good afternoon, folks. I am your host, Fred Houston, and you're listening to another exciting Stone and Tile show. And hey, hey, we're going to be talking about exterior stone restoration or preservation, however you want to call it. So if you're thinking about getting into that part of the business or if you're thinking of adding that uh, to your current services, you'll want to listen to this show. Uh, but before I do, let me go ahead and uh, make a couple of announcements here. First of all, uh, as you know, I'm doing my stone troubleshooting and inspector seminar in Vegas coming up in January. I have a few spots left and only a few spots left. So if you want to get down on that seminar, it's a great seminar. Go ahead and look at it on my website, which is stoneforensics.com. Just go to the training tab and you can see some of the, um, what we call, uh, what do you call those things? Um, um, I can't think of the name of them. Uh, testimonials, sorry, testimonials, and uh, also register. It'll give you a whole outline of the thing. Now, if you can't attend the show, and you, and you still want to attend it. Um, you can take the correspondence class or what we call the home study class. And that is also on the website. So you can check that out. All right. Also uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did the historic stone restoration seminar live. And that is also available as a, as a download on a, on a podcast with all the materials, et cetera. Again, go to my website, which is stoneforensics.com under the training tab itself. All right, let me start off with giving you the call-in number and all the good information if you want to get in on this call, if you have a question concerning what we're talking about today or anything basically to do with stone and tile, I'd be more than happy uh, to help you out. The call-in number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. My email is fhuston, that's F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. You can always go to Facebook, search for Stone Forensics, and send me a message on, on the messenger there as well, and we'll take that, that uh, question as well, or comment or whatever. Okay, so let's delve right into exterior stone restoration. For those of you that attended my historic uh, stone restoration, some of these things are very similar, uh, but... Uh, we're not only talking about historic when we're talking about exterior, we're talking about new as well, because there are some situations where you have to go in and patch and repair. And even if it's not that old, you may have to clean the material or maintain it in some way. So before I actually get into some of the details of exterior uh, stone work, let's talk about the differences. You know, how much different is it than interior? And there's several things. First of all, you have to realize you're dealing with an exterior. You're dealing with rain. You're dealing with snow. You're dealing with sleet. You're dealing with different environmental conditions. So that's going to play a big role in not only how you clean the material, how you restore the material, the materials you use for those, as well as what time of year you're going to perform these these uh, uh, procedures. Uh, you have an issue with consolidants, uh, sealers. Uh, we talked about sealers on a previous show. Is a whole nother ball game when it comes to exterior, and I have some pretty strong opinions when it comes to uh, uh, sealers, and I'll probably get into that right away here in, in a second because it's where a lot of people disagree with me. And if you happen to disagree, go ahead and call in. Uh, I would love to hear your your opinion. So with that said, I do have a list of different things I, I want to talk about when it comes to um, exterior stonework. I mean, you know, we have some of the common problems that we see. But since I mentioned sealers, 
let's talk a little bit about that. Well, without getting into a big lecture on what sealers do, I'm assuming those that are listening to this show know what sealers are. And when I'm talking sealers, I'm talking impregnators. Uh, if you don't, go back and listen to that show. I believe I did a whole show on sealers and impregnators. But generally, I am not a big fan of using sealers, impregnators per se, on an exterior stone. And there are several reasons for this. And again, disagree with me if you like, but I've seen a lot of failures when exterior stone has been sealed. Many times it's an improper application. Many times it's because it was applied during the wrong time of year. And a lot of the times it's because it was applied when there was still moisture in the stone. And you'll get things like exfoliation, flaking, etc., of stone surfaces. And again, I've seen this a million, million different times. Now, the argument's going to be against my opinion here is going to be, well, Fred, you know, these sealers, these impregnators do breathe. They have a breathing capability. And I think I've harped on this many, many times before. That's not a lie. That's true. They do breathe. But what? let's look at that for a second. You know, what? what is breathability? Breathability is not liquid. It's a vapor. So let's assume you have a block of stone which if you're dealing with exterior, you're probably dealing with either cladding or a block of stones, for example, Indiana limestone, and you have moisture within that stone, and you go ahead and you apply an impregnator to it. Well, even though you have that breathability, the vapor breathability, you don't have a way for any, any liquid moisture that's inside that stone to escape. And what happens in that case is that it builds up pressure. It'll build up salts. It'll carry salts to the surface. And you can get a condition called subfluorescence, and the stone starts to spall. It starts to pit. It'll flake. It'll delaminate. Uh, any number of, of issues that occur. Now, that's the main reason I'm not a really, really big fan of using these impregnators or sealers on exterior surfaces. There are, however, exceptions to the rule. And I've said this many times to my students. I love the stone industry because for every rule that's out there, so-called quote-unquote rule, uh, we have an exception to the rule. So there, there are several exceptions. Uh, I've had uh, – well, let me talk about one exception that uh, I had in an actual case that I did in, in, a, in a very, very large uh, building, exterior building, that was clad in a Chinese granite. Now, those of you that are familiar with Chinese granites, and when I'm talking about Chinese granites, I'm not talking about granites that are uh, brought to China, fabricated, and then shipped all over the world. I'm talking about granite actually from China itself. A lot of those granites contain a very high content of iron. And in this particular building, it was a $90 million building, all the cladding after less than a year brand new building after less than a year started oxidizing started started uh, rusting if you will in that case i was called in to determine can we remove the rust and the answer to that in this particular case was yes because it came to the surface it was easy to remove but how do we prevent it from continuing to come back well it's kind of difficult to say 100 percent it's not going to come back but in that case i did recommend a sealer but what we ended up doing is what we call trials or samples or sometimes what you may want to call demos where we went in cleaned several areas 
applied the impregnators. We, we tested several different impregnators. And then we let them set through an entire cycle. And what I mean by an entire cycle, in this particular building, this was located in the, in the northwestern portion of the United States, we have four seasons. So you've got a, a hot season, you've got two mild seasons, spring and fall, and then you have wintertime, so you have a lot of ice. And, and So we wanted to see how the stone was going to react to those four seasons. Now, that's ideal. And in this particular case, it was an ideal situation, but you don't always have that ideal situation. But uh, we ended up picking one, one particular uh, type of impregnator that, that worked very well. And as far as I know, that was a few years ago, it has done its job. Uh, we made sure that it was applied to a dry stone. Uh, we made sure that it was done during the right time of year, not too hot like during the summer. Springtime and fall is probably a good time, making sure it wasn't a wet season. So there are a lot of variables involved if you're going to use a, an impregnating type sealer on an exterior stone surface. Now, when it comes to historic work, and again, we did a whole seminar on historic stone work is a whole different ballgame. Uh, you may have cases where the stone is actually sugaring. Oh, in other words, powdering, and, and the, the term sugaring comes from that if you touch the stone or poke the stone with, you know, with with a pen or something, the material actually falls apart almost in, in a, a sugar pattern, like the, you you have a handful of sugar. Then you want to use what you call a consolidant. So let's talk a little bit about consolidants. I remember attending a seminar, uh, an MPT, a National Park Service MPS. I'm sorry. Uh, seminar in New York City a number of years ago, and the whole conference, three-day conference, was on the use of consolidants in stonework. And they had professors from all over the world, uh, contractors, everyone got up there and gave their opinion, uh, their data, whatever, on, on these consolidants that, that were being used. And I came away from that three-day seminar thinking, I'm scared to death to use consolidants on stone. All kinds of funky things can happen. Uh, the stone can turn colors. Uh, the stone can uh, fall apart, even even worse, come apart in chunks. So there's a lot of caution when you use consolidant. So if you're going to use a consolidant for whatever reason, for densifying the stone, making the stone, you know, holding it back together, and that's what consolidants do. Consolidants actually bind the stone back together. You have to do a lot of testing. You have to make sure you use a product that uh, the proper consolidant with a type of stone because, I mean, I could do a whole lecture just on consolidants, but you have different types of consolidants that work differently. Uh, some are cured by moisture. Some are self-curing. Uh, some require, you know, uh, other types of curing methods, depending on the type of stone you're dealing with. You're dealing with a limestone, are you dealing with a granite, are you dealing with concrete, are you dealing with brick? So it all has, you have to be very experienced. And three things that I recommend you do if you're using a consolidate on exterior work is to test, test, and test. Uh, make sure that that particular consolidate is compatible. Make sure that it works. And finally, make sure that it's not going to do anything, any, any funky reactions uh, whatsoever. So um, that's my dissertation there on, on sealers and, and consolidants. And again, if you disagree, that's fine. But I can probably back up what I'm saying with a, a ton of examples and stories of where I've seen misapplications, the wrong material used on the wrong stone, in the wrong environment, et cetera, et cetera, where they have failed. So 
I know the sealer companies are going to be down on me saying, well, Fred, you know, our sealer can be used on an exterior and, you know, and, and it can in those particular situations. But in, and, you know, the, the fact of the matter is you have to be extremely, extremely careful. All right. Uh, if you have an opinion, if you have a question about that part of it, uh, give me a holler, 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and move move on, and let's take a an example. Let's say you get called in to do some restorative work on an exterior. Um, you know, we can go anywhere from a one-story building on up to a, you know, a skyscraper, if you like. Uh, but let's say you have a, you know, a three-story uh, Indiana limestone building. And for those of you who don't know what Indiana limestone is, if you live in a major city, New York City, Boston, Chicago, any of those large cities, you're probably going to see many, many buildings with Indiana limestone. Um, if you don't know what it is, Google it. Uh, go to the Indiana Limestone Institute. You can get all kinds of information on there. But you go in and you look at this Indiana Limestone building. And first of all, it has a lot of soiling. You want to, A, number one, conduct a survey. You want to know, okay, where is the soiling? Uh, is it only on one side of the building? Uh, what type of soiling is it? Is it carbon soiling from, from buses going by? Uh, is it weathered? Uh, is it um, have mold? Does it have algae growing on it? Does it have vines growing on it? Uh, you want to do a complete survey and take a look at what type of soiling or what type of uh, exterior uh, material might be on that stone, i.e. the biological growth as well, because you're going to require different methods in order to remove that. And quite honestly, if you're pricing this this out, you want to be able to know how long it's going to take you to remove you know, a certain type of soiling, what you have to use to remove it, and hopefully we'll have time to get into, into the actual methods, what chemicals you may or may not use uh, to, um, to remove that. Uh, and then you have to look at the structure, the integrity of the stone itself. Uh, you know, what type of issues does it have? Uh, does it have a rising damp problem? So let's let's talk about what that is. Uh, if you go walk down a, a sidewalk in a big city and it has just rained, a lot of times you can see a lot of people will call them a tide mark, T-I-D-E, a tide mark on the outside of the stone. Uh, that's rising damp. That's where the moisture gets into the stone. It rises up into the stone. It can go up a couple inches. It can go up several feet or it can go up many, many feet. I've seen it go very, very high. And uh, why is that a problem? That, that's a problem uh, because what happens is, especially in your northern climates, you know, Boston, New York City, Chicago, uh, Minneapolis, where you have de-icing salts that are used, what happens when the springtime comes, all those salts are now dissolved in the water or the rainwater or the melting ice and the snow, and that wicks up into the stone, into that rising damp section, and you end up with spalling. Uh, you end up with the stone pitting. Uh, you end up with subfluorescence. So that can be a, a, a real issue that will, if you have a, a particular question on that, just go ahead and give me a call and we'll discuss that a little bit further. Uh, you want to look at the stone to determine, you know, uh, it can efflorescence and subfluorescence can also come from other things other than de-icing salts. It can also come from uh, salts within the in the in the material itself, uh, any kind of setting bed that's there. So anything whatsoever can uh, that can come from. You want to look at the weathering. You know how has a stone held up to weathering? 
acid rain. Uh, does that particular area that you're looking at or that particular city have acid rain? And not only in that area, but you can actually have what we call microclimates. Uh, within a city, and I've seen this in certain areas where you can have a concentration of an area that gets a lot of acid rain for it. Maybe there's a smokestack nearby. Maybe there's a cold fire plant nearby. So it's going to require a, a lot of work and a lot of uh, uh, digging, asking the right questions, and doing the proper, proper, proper survey. Um, with structural stone, like Indiana limestone, as opposed to cladding, you have a condition known as, or a can, can a condition that can occur known as blind exfoliation. And the best way to describe blind exfoliation is to go back to your geology and let's look at Indiana limestone. Indiana limestone is formed in layers. It's a sedimentary material, so it's formed in layers. So imagine a cake and imagine that cake has, you know, several layers. Now you go in, you take a slice of that cake and then you go in, you're going to eat a piece of cake, you slice it off. And depending on how you orient that, slice. In other words, if you hold it as it comes out, all the layers are on top of one another. Or you turn it on the side, and now you have a layer facing you, and the layers are behind each layer. Well, if the stone is cut that way, if it's cut so the layers are are are, are flipped on an angle, if you will, in other words, that piece of cake flipped over, so instead of the layers being on top of one another, they're behind one another. You can get salts that go in between those layers and actually separate those layers, and that may not be visible to the naked eye. It's what we call blind exfoliation. In other words, they exfoliate, they separate. So how do you determine whether you have a stone that has that issue? Because if it does, it can eventually just fall off. Uh, that layer can, can sloth off. Uh, you tap on the stone. You can take a screwdriver. You can take anything that's that's hard and just tap on the stone, and you will hear the difference. Similar to if you guys have had to do sounding tests on floors, you have a very similar situation where you can actually tap on the stone itself, and you can hear where it's hollow. If you hear a hollow sound, there's chances are that's blind exfoliation. Uh, can that be repaired? Uh, somewhat, yes. Uh, there's a, a technique called pinning. Uh, where you actually drill holes through the stone and you take pins. They can be epoxy pins. They can be stainless steel pins. And you pin this, the layers back together so they don't end up uh, flaking off. And now they will probably eventually, but at least that will that will buy you some time. Uh, so that's some of the things you got to look, look for there when it comes to blind exfoliation. You want to look at the stone that needs to be repaired. Uh, chunks are out of it. Uh, then you, you're looking at, there's some terminology you may have never heard in the interior sector of, of restoration work, and that is you might have to do a Dutchman repair. Dutchman repair is where you actually go in and cut out the bad area of the stone and put a new piece in. Uh, patching work. Uh, you have to be extremely careful with patching work because a lot of you guys are out there using polyesters, your, your typical Akimi, your K-Bond, your 10X. Um, those materials are polyesters. And I did a whole lecture on this in uh, one, of my, one of my shows where uh, polyester is not good for exterior stonework. Uh, it breaks down under UV light. It doesn't like moisture. So you don't want to use polyesters. You want to use epoxies or there are now proprietary materials, especially for limestones. For example, uh, 
Uh, Jan, J-A-H-N, by Cathedral Stoneworks, has a material. I believe the Kenina has a material. Bondstone has a limestone repair material. And they're all really good re repair materials. They're a little tricky to use. And I would recommend getting training. And all those companies, almost all those companies, offer you certification and training in order to use their materials. As a matter of fact, I think Jan uh, will not sell to you unless you've been uh, through their certification program. So if you're going to do a lot of that patchwork on limestone, I would highly recommend attending one of those classes. They're very informative and, and you'll learn a lot. So we're still on the survey thing. We're still looking at, at the stone. We're still determining, you know, if we have an issue or not. Uh, I mentioned salt, the icing salts. Uh, if you're in a northern climate, ask what kind of salts they're using. Uh, if they are using rock salt, which is a typical rock salt, that's really bad. You'll see sidewalks torn up, the concrete sidewalks torn up. I've seen terrazzo torn up, um, you know, exterior stone torn up due to that rising damp where the salts are sucked into the stone and the salts start crystallizing. There are salts out there, and I actually did an article of salts that you should, uh, you can use that don't crystallize. And uh, anybody's interested in that article, send me an email at fhuston at gmail.com, f-h-u-e-s-t-o-n at gmail.com. And I'll go ahead and uh, get you a free copy uh, of that if, if you're listening either now or later on uh, during the archives. And, you know, and while I'm thinking about it, let me give out the phone number one more time. That's 323-870-3968. So when it comes to doing this survey, you, you, you've got a lot to look at. And you don't only want to look at the issue with the stone. You want to look at other things. You want to look at windowsills. You want to look at wood elements. You want to look at the metal elements. Not only do you need to look at those for the purposes of protection to clean the stone or whatever, uh, those might be deteriorated. So you don't want to go in there and have to, you know, clean a, a stone building and then the owner comes back to you and says, hey, you know, you ruined my uh, my my windows or, or whatever. So extremely careful. You want to survey it. And, you know, with today's cell phones having really good cameras on them, take pictures of everything. And a little tidbit that I like to use is I take a little scale, a ruler, if you will, and place that in a picture up against the, say, there's a, a sill that's damaged. It has a chunk out of it. You know, go ahead and you know, put your scale down next to it. That gives you a, a, a reference size and then take a picture of it. And this, this all goes into your, believe it or not, will go into your bid proposal to show this is what needs to be repaired and this is how much it's going to cost uh, to to repair this. So there are a number of problems that, that can occur uh, when you do the survey, or, or I shouldn't say occur, but that you will notice when you do the survey. So again, make sure you do a detailed walkthrough. Now, this may require some equipment. Uh, if you're dealing with, you know, something taller than two stories, you're going to need more than a ladder. Uh, you may need a high lift. Uh, you may need to use scaffolding on the building. You may need to use um, uh, swing bridges. I mean, there's a number of different uh, types of equipment you you may need to use. And you need to include that in your bid. Uh, you can rent these. Um, I know when I've done a lot of my inspections or back when I did a lot of this work, I'd have professional companies come in and set them up for me. Uh, I'm not an expert in scaffolding. I'm not an, an expert in swing stages, so, you know, have the professionals come in and set it up for you so um, you don't end up getting hurt because it, be, it can be extremely dangerous. You know, I'm sure you've seen those those things in the, 
um, uh, on TV where guys are on a swing stage, you know, they're either doing some work on the, on the building or washing windows and it collapses. It can happen. Uh, believe me, I've seen it happen. It, it can happen. So if, if you go to, there's an actually a really good website. It's, it's the National Park Service Preservation Briefs. And I mentioned this in my historic stone restoration class. Uh, if you go to that uh, website, there's a couple of great uh, papers that they have in there that are free. Uh, they have pamphlets that, that are free. You can download, which will describe all these things. It's going to describe the terminology, uh, exfoliation, crumbling, spalling, efflorescence, subfluorescence, and it goes on and on and on. And we just don't have the time uh, to cover it here in, in, this, uh, in this radio show, but I'm just kind of giving you a general overview. Okay. The next thing we want to look at is, okay, we have a building, and it's a stone building, obviously, and it's got some soiling on it, and you want to clean it. What's really popular right now, or has been popular for quite a while, and it's quite effective, is the use of water. And when I say the use of water, I'm saying the use of water only, no chemicals whatsoever. Now, you may say, Fred, that's ridiculous. How can water clean the building. After all, it rains all the time. Doesn't that clean the building? And the answer to that is yes, and the answer to that is no. So let's take a look at the building. Now, in some cases, I wish this was TV rather than radio, but uh, I'll try to describe this. If you look at a building and you look at the windowsills, a lot of times you can see a white streak along the corners of the, of the sill. In other words, you have the sill on the bottom, the water hits that sill and runs off on the off to the sides, and you end up with what looks like clean streaks. And why is those streaks clean? Because the rainwater has cleaned it. So rarely, unless you're going through a hurricane, does rain hit the building at a 90-degree angle. It'll hit it at, at, at various angles, straight down or whatever the angle it is. So it's really not hitting the building whatsoever. So what they found is that a lot of times you can actually clean the building with water only. Light pressure washing. What I mean by light pressure washing, got to be careful with pressure washing. Uh, you know, I wouldn't go any more than say 300 PSI unless you really know what you're doing. Uh, they use what they call intermittent uh, sprinkler heads. I mean, a lot of times you can see buildings that are being cleaned that way. You'll have scaffolding set up on the outside of the building and you'll have misting or sprinkler heads that actually go on at a certain amount of time and go off, go on and go off. And what that allows it to do is to, you know, clean the stone with water and then let it dry, clean it and let it dry. And, you know, number one rule in cleaning anything that's porous, I don't care if you're dealing with exteriors, I don't care whether you're dealing with interior, whatever, is to pre-wet everything. Because chances are, the soiling that you're dealing with 99% of the time is on the surface or penetrated very, very small into the surface. So by saturating the stone with water, uh, you're allowing that, in this case, the water only to clean off the surface. If you're using chemicals, your chemicals will work even more effectively because you're pre-wetting the surface. And, and that applies also to stain removal, which we went over in, in another show when we talked about pre-wetting the stained area, and that's to isolate the stain. So pre-wetting is extremely important. Um, there are other techniques that are being used out there to clean exterior buildings. You have dry ice, uh, you have baking soda, soda blasting, not not sandblasting, but soda blasting with very fine abrasives. Uh, there's a system out there. Actually, there's a number of systems, but the system that I'm used to, that I'm familiar with, is called the JOS 
system, J-O-S, uh, Aerosoft, E-R-A-S-O-F-T, I believe you can Google it and find out. But it, it uses various blasting media like baking soda, walnut shells, uh, some synthetic type type materials, and it does it. It, 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 it go, it's under pressure into a, well, I get like a vortex. It creates like a swirling motion. And you can actually take this nozzle and put it on your hand and it, you, you won't, you, it won't do anything to your skin, but you put it on a stone and it'll clean it. So very effective system. It's a little slow because you're doing, you know, small areas at a time, but it's, it's very, very effective. Um, we're now starting to see laser cleaning being used. Uh, laser cleaning has been used in, in museums. As a matter of fact, uh, if you want to, I was on a Facebook the other day, and someone has, and I'm half tempted to order this because it's 40 bucks to see if it's going to work on stone, but it's actually a laser that's used on metal to remove rust. And it's amazing. It just looks like a hairdryer, and you point it at the rust on metal, and it just cleans the rust right off. And you can put your hand in front of it, and it won't hurt your hand, but it, it, it will re-oxidize uh, or reverse oxidize, I should say, uh, the rust. And when I saw that, I was curious, you know, I wonder if that would actually work on stone surfaces. I don't know, but I'm half tempted to spend the 40 bucks plus shipping and handling uh, to find out if it's, if it's, if it's going to work. And if it doesn't, oh, well, I'll report back to you guys and tell you it doesn't work, but uh, I'll also have it for removing rust on, uh, on some metal surfaces. Now, again, you have uh, various methods for cleaning the water only, misting, you have fogging, uh, steam cleaning, uh, pressure washing. You have the abrasive systems, which are your jaw system that I just mentioned, baking soda systems. You have the laser cleaning, uh, dry ice, carbon dioxide is another one I've seen, I've seen used, hot water, uh, and the water, water only that we described. Now, where would you use chemicals? Well, obviously, you would want to use chemicals in an isolated area uh, for removing stains or whatever. But in some cases, uh, you're going to need to use chemicals in order to remove the soiling on the stone. Now, I should have probably mentioned back in the very, very beginning that in many cases, you're not looking for a pristine overall look. In other words, you're not trying to make that building look brand new again. You're, you just want to make it look better. And that needs to be discussed and communicated to, uh, to your customer. Because uh, a, a lot of times you won't. You won't be able to get it that pristine color. Uh, there are chemicals out there that can be used. But when you're using chemicals, you need to approach with caution, extreme caution. Because remember, you're dealing with a building. You're dealing outside. You have wind. It can drift. And you can end up buying a lot of cars. And I don't mean from the money you make uh, cleaning the stone. I mean from the mistakes you make from uh, overspray on the car surfaces or other surfaces for that matter. Uh, a lot of these chemicals are acids. Uh, some are two steps, alkalines and acids. Uh, you know, there, there are several good companies out there that are very knowledgeable in exterior cleaning with these chemicals. Uh, one is called Prosoco, P-R-O-S-O-C-O. Very good company, very knowledgeable, good chemicals, um, big fan of them. Uh, another one is called Dietrich uh, Chemicals, and there's a few others out there, but those are the two that I'm, I'm very, very familiar with. All right, if you have any questions, now would be the time to call 323 323- Eight seven zero three nine six eight. That's three two three eight seven zero three nine six eight. Again, you can send me an instant message if you like on on Messenger on Facebook. Uh, again, just search for 
Us on Forensics on Facebook page, or uh, if you like, uh, send me a direct email to fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com, and uh, we'll we'll get your question answered. And I don't care whether it's about what we're talking about here, exterior work, or if it's um, <clears throat> anything else to do, stone and tile, tile related. That's what I'm here for, and that's what this show is for. Um, Equipment. Uh, I kind of mentioned this as we're going along. You have uh, equipment where you need to be able to reach the material, the this, this stone. You may need high lifts. You may need scaffolding. You may need swing stages. Uh, so all that needs to be set up, and that's going to cost you. you know, whether you have that equipment, whether you have a department that uh, sets up that equipment, or what I did is just hire a company that is very familiar with that. You need to make sure you follow all the OSHA rules, uh, especially if you're dealing with a city. A lot of times uh, I remember doing just inspection work on a building in Washington, D.C. a number of years ago. And uh, we had OSHA come by and a city come by asking us what we were doing. Uh, so they, they asked us questions like, okay, we were on a happen to be on a swing stage on this particular job. And they said, well, now uh, how, what would be the maximum wind that you would, you know, be on that swing stage. So, you know, at the time we had no idea. So we said probably 15 miles an hour, whether that was right or not, I don't know, but you know, they were concerned. Uh, we had safety harnesses. Those safety harnesses need to be uh, checked to make sure, because if that swing stage or scaffolding collapses, you want to be able to just be able to dangle there. And again, I'm sure you've seen that on the news where a lot of these guys have, you know, ha- had their swing stage collapse or, um, uh, scaffolding collapse or whatever, and uh, they're hanging there by a rope. While that rope happens to be their harness with their safety rope on there, and there's, there's a reason reason for that. Uh, you know, hard hats, all the equipment that that come comes along with that. So, you know, with exterior work, it's not necessarily a piece of cake. Now, I'm not saying interior stone restoration is a piece of cake, but again, I started this show out with. Uh, in the beginning, exterior work is a whole different animal. It's a whole different ball game, and I would highly recommend uh, getting trained uh, either through my seminars or whoever else is giving seminars uh, and, and listening to people that have already done it. It's kind of competitive. I'll be honest with you. It's a very competitive field. There are a lot of companies out there, especially in your major cities. You know, your uh, New York City, Boston, Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles. There are areas that are, are very competitive. And uh, and the question I get all the time is, Fred, how do I price exterior work? And it's a tricky question. And I don't have a lot of time here in order to describe, you know, how you price it. But uh, uh, basically, you want to be able to figure out how long is it going to take you to do the work. Your material cost is going to be little. Uh, your setup cost might be a lot, considering you may have to, you know, scaffold a building or swing stage it or whatever. Uh, so that that cost is going involved in there. Uh, your insurance is going to be higher. So if you're doing interior stone restoration work now and you're going to try exterior unless you're doing very very small jobs you need to talk to your insurance company because insurance is going to be different and it's going to be a lot higher uh so you need to take that into consideration uh you may need skilled labor to do it uh in certain cities you're going to need union labors you know in cities like chicago new york city boston are require uh that you have union labors uh you may have to pay what we call prevailing wage and 
And I'm not going to get into what that is, but the, you know, the wage is already set. So if you're used to paying a guy 15 bucks an hour and you go into a city that has prevailing wage and you have to pay him 40 bucks an hour and you priced it for the $15, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, you're going to lose your shirt. And as a matter of fact, I know companies who have actually gone out of business by making that mistake. So approach it with caution. Um, there's there's a lot to exterior stone restoration that I had mentioned, uh, a lot more than I need to go that I can go into here. Uh, I could spend a whole week on just that topic alone. In my seminar, the stone inspection seminar that we do, we we talk about inspecting that. Uh, we talk about these failures. Uh, along with interior. So if you're interested in learning more, I'd encourage you to uh, sign up for that seminar. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I just have a few spots left for that uh, for that particular seminar in Vegas coming up in January. Unless you want to take on this class, then uh, go ahead and give me a call. All right, I think we're going to wrap things up. And unless you have a quick question, I'll give out the number one more time and give you a few minutes here to call in. That's 323 that's 323-870-3968. Um, you know, if you have to be careful um, when you're, you're talking anything over, say, two stories high. Uh, we talked about the equipment, but, you know, there's all kinds of other things that can go wrong. You know, things falling on people. You may have to set up nets. Uh, if you're using chemicals, you may have to capture all your effluent. All, In other words, let's say you're using an, an acid or an alkaline. It doesn't really matter what pH scale you're using. And that's going down on the street. That's ruining plants. A lot of times you have to catch that, put it into a container, uh, you know, a drum, have it hauled off. And it could be considered hazardous waste. So there's a lot to think about. Uh, the time of year I'd mentioned that you do this work. Uh, sometimes there's city ord ordinances uh, for when you can do this work, how you can do this work, or there may be bans on certain chemicals in certain cities that you can't use. Uh, so be very, very careful. So in essence, if you have a question, uh, go ahead and even after the show here, uh, send me an email, fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. You can go to my website, Stone Forensics. There's a lot of good information there. Uh, as I had mentioned, I have the article on de-icing salts, the proper type of de-icing salts. Send me an email. I'll be more than happy to email you a copy of that uh, article I've done on the proper type of uh, de-icing salts that you can use if you happen to live in a northern climate. And uh, if you do, I'm sorry. I live in Florida. I don't have the issue. Uh, so uh, sorry about that. I had to put that uh, tease in there to all my northern friends and my southern friends, too. South got a, got a nasty snowstorm here the other day. Uh, so anyway, with that said, I'm going to close for this week. Uh, I'll be back next week. If anybody has a suggestion for a topic, feel to write me. Uh, give me a call. And uh, if you want to be interviewed for whatever reason, uh, it has to do with stone and tile, you want to be on this show. Uh, we're getting a, a lot of listeners. Uh, we've been doing this now for uh, 10 months now. So uh, one year anniversary will be coming up in a couple of months. I enjoy doing them. Uh, I enjoy this information. So until next week, we'll see everybody again, same time, same station. Everybody have a great weekend. See you later. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. 
laundry? Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.